This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. It's Friday, by golly. It is open line Friday. We have the phone line open if you'd like to converse. And uh, it's odds and ends Friday. It's um, something I've kind of come up with over the time. Odds and ends, things that just don't seem to make much sense, but are worth talking about because they don't make much sense. Uh, we're here in the manly Warthog Man Cave in the piney woods of north central Florida, God's country. In the Mellon Law Studio, Mellon Law, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, a full-service law firm, protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention, John Pastore and Randy Elrad, or Randy Elrad and John Pastore, and all of our sponsors who you see coming on the air with us. Uh, we appreciate them very much. Um, I don't know what to tell you where to start. It's really kind of an oddball world we live in, I guess, if you, if you look at it a certain way. Uh, asking it to make some sort of um, these things are in no particular order to me, but but they have struck my fancy, and uh, you're perfectly willing to uh, come in and talk about them if you'd like to. And we have this. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's always been so. I've never been one to do it. That doesn't mean that uh, I'm not being judgmental about it, but. We're talking about people who write on walls. There's a name for that. I guess it's, uh, well, you tell me. Uh, The 34th Street wall here in this area is notorious for being written on, painted over forever. I don't know how many layers of paint are on that wall, but the one that is protected at one time in my memory was painted over because the new generation didn't understand the significance of the wall that depicted the Danny Rawlings murders of the students. Uh, That really irked even the kids at the University of Florida. I believe there's a fraternity that has taken over keeping that sacred as it should be. And it's still there. And it's been there for quite a while because I think that was 1990 when that happened. And in fact, I think the date is even on the, the depiction, a reminder of the heinous things that occurred then. Um, so I know people write on walls. But here's the curious thing. The Colosseum in Rome. Now, The Colosseum in Rome, I guess the best way to say it, is the Colosseum in Rome. It was uh, built in 
80 AD, and it was famous for the gladiators who would fight it out in there, often to the death for the amusement of the spectators. Not really that much different from our football games. Our football games are, in fact, the word stadium, stadia means measure of the man. So here's a youngin who, if all things videos himself doing it or has someone do it or someone does it, who uses a key to etch Ivan plus Haley 23, his name and the name of his significant other, into the wall of the monument and shared it to YouTube. Apparently, it was recorded by an outraged onlooker. And uh, this thing has led to problems for this young man. The video alerted police to vandalism. The Italian, Italian officials went looking for him, considered it very serious, unworthy, incivil. a disrespect to the country's culture. And after a five-day search, they traced this young man to his home in Britain. This is as reported by the Associated Press. Now, vandalizing the Coliseum carries fines of up to $15,000 and five years in the jug. So there you are. I thought that was odd. But it is not something I haven't seen before. I just haven't seen it in the walls of the Colosseum in Rome, which you would think maybe we've reached a point just as we reached here in the city of Gainesville, where students coming along didn't have any memory or knowledge of the student murders with Danny Rowling. But there is a legacy keeper for that. And if you drive by it now, take a gander at it, all the other depictions on the wall will be constantly changing except that one which I think is kind of interesting therefore I share it with you on odds and ends Friday this also struck my attention Brittany Spears now I'm kind of I like Britney Spears. You know, you know, she's been through this, that, one, another. I know with her father and this, that, one, another. But I like her. That doesn't mean anything. You don't have to like her. But she has been involved in an incident between her, and I don't know if this name or yet rings a bell with you, but it will, Victor Wembanyama 
who is the 19-year-old, seven-foot-five player, first-round NBA draft choice, to the San Antonio Spurs. Well, somehow, some way, she spotted Victor Wambayama. Uh, in the lobby of the same hotel she was in. And she wanted, she says, she wanted to congratulate him on his success. So when she spotted him, uninvitedly, unbeknownst to him, she tapped him on the shoulder. She says because it was really loud in the restaurant and she couldn't therefore holler at him. But what happened to her was security for this young man immediately backhanded her in the face without looking back. Oh, my golly. I can see that happening. I can see that happening. When Victor Yambayanma was asked about it, he said he didn't know Britney Spears was the one who approached him. There were people calling out at him, calling him to stop, but he couldn't stop. And it doesn't, it's not a big deal to him. But there you are. I don't really think you ought to go up tapping people that you don't know on the shoulder when they got their back to you, especially. I thought that was odd. thought that was kind of odd. Celebrity to celebrity. Phone line is open today. Certainly like to hear from somebody, some of you. Oh, this uh, next up thing that gets me my attention is uh, unsettling. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Unsettling. Are they, I believe this was in the New York Times. Get ready for winter <clears throat> vaccinations. Now, <clears throat> let's put this into context. Vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, government bureaucracy, <clears throat> and the illness. And from what I can find out, talking to all kinds of people about COVID, nobody knows a darn thing about it. So now, this is being planned for the fall. Might as well give you a heads up. There's going to be a vaccination drive in the fall. And three vaccines 
will be combined in one shot. And you say, what are these vaccines for? Three shots, flu, COVID, and RSV, which is a kind of respiratory serious situation, particularly for older people, in an attempt to reduce hospitalizations and deaths. Now, Dr. Ofer Levy, who is director of the Precision Vaccines Program at Boston Children's Hospital and an advisor to the Food and Drug Administration, says uh, these vaccines will be a godsend. But they still don't know how many people will opt for them. 71% of the adults ages 65 and older got a flu shot last winter. But only about 43% chose to get the COVID booster. The flu last winter, just the flu, not COVID, may have led to as many as 58,000 deaths. That's according to the CDC. RSV kills up to 10,000 people each year, most of them older. That infection usually peaks in November and results in the most number of hospitalizations. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I thought, here it comes. Bundling all three of these shots into a single visit to a clinic or pharmacy. They think would be conducive to encouraging more people to get the vaccinations. But yet, here we go again. Other scientists hesitate to endorse this idea. Not enough data on safety, not enough data on effectiveness, particularly when all three are given at the same time. Because some vaccines actually work against each other, particularly when administered simultaneously. Now, I'm just a messenger. But I do think this is odd because it has all sorts of implications to it. And it appears as if it's the best of intentions, but not much understanding about how it's going to work. I just heard it's uh, been reported to me haven't checked it out, that a very prominent person in this community has had COVID in the last few days, pretty seriously. It's out there. So up to 85%, according to the Times article, of flu-related deaths are among those age 65 and older. There you go. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. The durability of these vaccines, the jury's still out on all that. 
It's unprecedented, the COVID approach, unprecedented. The vaccine, if you listen to the anti-vaxxers, untested. If you listen to the vaxxers, a godsend. We're fine dark. And I just read an article. I believe it was the Wall Street Journal. I'm not prepared to source it right now and go into it. But that the future wars will not be fought with bombs and that. They'll be fought with viruses. Viruses. Well, we outlawed gas in World War One. I don't know. So Pfizer is going to be involved in this, of course. Uh, nobody really knows whether it's a second dose needed. It's kind of unsettling to think that something that's serious uh, has that much apparent need without fully knowing what's going on. A little light, odd thing here. USA Today. Elon Musk. the wealthiest person on the planet. He's the richest of the 500 richest people. He added $852 billion along with these other guys to to their billionaire index. Made $14 million per day. Over the last six months, Tulsa, a Tulsa CEO and Twitter owner Musk heads the billionaire pack with a net worth of $247 billion. The second place guy is a Frenchman, Bernard Arnault. One hundred ninety-nine billion, and the third you got a phone call. Okay, and the third is Jeff Bezos, who's worth one hundred and fifty-five billion, and then Mark Zuckerberg, one hundred and four billion. Plantation Mark, good to hear from you, brother. Hello. Morning. It's hot, hot and hazy, and uh, getting hotter by the hour out here. <laughs> hey, man, I got no answer. I know it's hot. What's going on? Uh, not much. I'm peering out the bedroom window here. Probably what would be in the store about five hundred dollars worth of corn on the cob. <laughs> but uh, we we got a good rain the other night, and man, let me tell you, those ears are starting to fill out. It's uh, just about right. Everybody's 
up here is cutting hay. They've cut winter wheat. Uh, they're replanting soybeans. It's just a good day out in the country around here, as long as you can not run into a tractor out here on the road somewhere. But uh, had a great 4th of July. Had a good little cook out in the backyard. And uh, find your shows interesting there with uh, Keith Perry and them coming on and talking about what's going on with GRU. Because, uh, you know, when I moved up here, they had one of our uh, natural gas plants under construction. And about two years later, they moved right across the county line into the next county over at Emporia and built a second one, Dominion Energy did. And believe it or not, our uh, power bills actually went down the way that once they restructured the way they bill you on power. So I, I haven't, even with all the AC running up here, I haven't had a bill over uh, $170. And I've got uh, 2,000 square feet here to air condition. But I just thought I'd fill you in on what's going on up here. Uh, my my Hermie Sadler from Emporia lost uh, the state senate uh, primary down here. So anyway, I'll see what the governor's favorite girl, he wanted her to win and backed her because uh, Hermie's a little outspoken when it comes to certain things like uh, red flag laws and uh, gambling machines and the amount of... Uh, taxation on the, what the profit they make off of these uh, gambling machines. So he, he got all up in arms over that because he owns some of those gambling machines at his restaurant down in Emporia, and they, he was getting having to give the state more money than other organizations. So he went up and uh, went what we call low-order detonation on, uh, on the government up there in Richmond a couple of times. Tell them, tell them to straighten out so everybody pays the same amount of tax on these machines. Other than that, Ward, that's about all I've got going, making a speed run to Gaston, North Carolina, to see an old friend in the morning and take her some uh, squash and zucchini and cucumbers, and I think Margaret's baking her uh, two pans of uh, zucchini bread, take down with her. So Anyway, that's Mark about here, it. Mark here, get, uh, Clay Electric went down almost 5%. In its uh, electric bills, uh, which is a co-op, of course, and uh, that drives people nuts who are on GRU because you know they can't get out of GRU. You can't jump around on these services, and you know right across the street maybe somebody on Clay Electric and they <laughs> they got a bill that's maybe one third, uh, uh, you know, as much as they got right on the on the GRU. So it's really uh, yeah. I- my, my cousin lives right there just the other side of I-75 and Archer Road. And uh, she was complaining a year or so ago that they've had as much as uh, five and $600 power bills, and their house only about 1,500 square feet. So, you know, yeah. if you're tied into city water and city sewer and everything like I was in Newport News when I lived over there, uh, you know, you your, your power bill was – just about equal to what you got between sewer and water. Of course, I'm all electric out here, and, uh, you know, I've got a well and a septic tank and everything else. So, anyway. You're running that that well off 220, are you not? Oh, yes, sir, 220. But uh, uh, I've got a little project i got to get into and uh, move my generator out in uh, 
build a little shed for it and get it hardwired through my workshop back into the main power box because I can go out there and, and kill the breaker, but I can backfeed the the house and the pump, the well and everything off the generator and uh, not have to worry too much about anything that runs on 110 or 220. So I'll just drop 220 back into the house, and uh, it'll work real good. Well, in case, that, people don't uh, know, in case people don't know whom they're listening to, listen to a master chief in the United States Navy retired. And um, let me just tell you that the master chiefs really run the Navy. They can do everything uh, there is need to be done on one of those ships. I really admire you for that, Mark. That's um, that's a heck of a resume. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had two directions to go when I was drafted in 72. And uh, I could have either done a short time and, and got out and went back into the construction business because I was building houses with my uncle. But uh, I chose to go in the Navy and stay in there for 30 years. So. <laughs> you've seen the world. You've, you've seen the world, man. Uh, just I mean, we got about five more minutes for a break. What are some of the places that you really found in your travels with the Navy really intriguing? I know they all were, but anything stick out? Uh, one thing that got me on the poverty side was down in uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti in 1974, uh, Papa Doc and Baby Doc were still running the country, and uh, the palace looked good till the earthquake got it and wrecked about half of it uh, here a while back. But that—that uh, that was the biggest amount of, of poverty I've ever seen in one place. And there was absolutely not a—you couldn't find a dog or a cat down there because they'd eaten them all. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, really? sir. They—they they eat just about anything down there. I even got a had a. Went to a restaurant and they had a, a excellent meal made out of cat. You know, really? they they dipped it lemon juice and batter and, and and fried that cat up. Yes, it it was excellent. And uh, well, go to know, Northern he, Europe. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna mm-hmm. say in Northern Europe now was up in Norway in Stavanger um, in seventy five. And that country just struck me as purely beautiful. There was no garbage or trash or anything on the streets. It was just, you know, one of the nicest places. And I've, I've been all through Northern Europe, uh, Southern Europe, and many times in Italy, Sicily, uh, Spain, uh, North Africa, uh, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Egypt. And uh, back through the rest of the Middle East over there, spent four months over there in 94 with running a no-fly off an aircraft carrier. And I'll tell you what, 102 degrees was as cool cool as it got at night over there in Jebel Ali in the United Arab Emirates. It was 120 during the day. And and you're sitting right on the water, so it's humid as crazy over there, even though there's desert all around you. It's just, it was almost unbearable. You could barely keep uh, the ACs running on the ship because the water was so hot it wouldn't condense, you know, in your uh, evaporators for your AC plants. So anyway, that's uh, that's my story. But I've been in like 40 countries, a few in South America, all through the Caribbean. Yeah, you know, but there's no place like coming back to Forsyth in the United States. I can tell you that. When we pulled back into Norfolk, 
you know, you you were home, man. Well, you know, this Haiti is a mess today. Um, they are killing each other. Uh, uh, it's a completely black run side of the island. What's so ironic is right there across the border is Dominican Republic, as I understand it. Night and day difference. And uh, um, it, it's just absolutely, really literally cannibalistic in Haiti right now. Yeah. But uh, it never gets any better. That Papa Doc, um, you know, it, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And um, nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, it's all it's all uh, black African people running it and killing each other and ripping each other off and, and never, ever extricate themselves from the uh, from the chaos. And I think the attitude of the world is just leave them alone and let them, you know, you know, they got them isolated. Just let them live there and um, go. You know, we can't straighten it out. So it's uh, no. it's a real mess. Well, thanks for tuning in, buddy. And thanks for supporting the work. Okay. And uh, we're going to take a break here. Uh, it's Plantation Mark up in Virginia, a great supporter of the show. And uh, we're going to take a break here with uh, come back with the weather in a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help!
All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather Report, brought to you by Lewis Oil. When the Lewis Oil Chevron stations, I tell you now, it's hot. Everybody knows it's hot, and it's going to get hotter. Uh, today it's going to be hot. Maybe you'll get a relief from a storm here and there, but, you know, intermittent. But there is something that I've noticed here on our computers that we've checked the weathers with, uh, that tomorrow morning at 7.15 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, 99% of the Earth's population will see sunlight in the sky. I'm thinking about this now. As long as it isn't cloudy. So that means 7.9 billion people across North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Africa. And meanwhile, the remainder of the people around the world will experience nighttime, including people in Australia, New Zealand, and islands across the Pacific, such as Hawaii and Fiji. Uh, There uh, is a catch. Uh, The west coast of the United States the sunlight will come in the form of twilight. So uh, this is interesting. I don't know that I've ever heard about this before happening. Uh, This is a sunshine statistic um, that is uh, one of these sunshine phenomenons that occurs every once in a while as a worldwide experience. Wow. Didn't even think that sort of thing. But, you know, come on. It's What do we know, huh? We're sitting right here on an outside of something. Well, well, well. There's an interesting story going on. First of all, let me prep you for this story. By the way, our phone lines are open. Um, Press secretaries for presidents. Press secretaries for presidents. They're evasive. I mean, this is my take on it. They're obtuse, indirect, stonewall, and also can be very troublesome. Now, there's a federal judge in Louisiana on Tuesday that specifically barred Biden's press secretary from colluding with corporate tech giants to censor American speech. And I'm just beginning to understand that this is a huge deal coming down. In a preliminary injunction handed down on July the 4th, Judge Terry Dowdy, a chief judge of the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana, implemented restrictions on collusion between the Biden White House and social media companies. And right in the middle of this is Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Now, 
I didn't come up with this comparison. Somebody called my attention to it. So now that she's fair game, we'll have production show you that people think this cute little woman has hair that reminds them, and I don't eat them. Evidently, they're at the Outback. The Bloomin' Onion. There it is. I'll leave it up there for a while, production. I guess, I guess yeah. Ah. Now you say, oh, wow, that's, that's crude. That's, well, come on. You're a lightning rod for all this misinformation. You're out there trying to collude. You're out there trying to pull dirty tricks. You're out there trying to distort information to the public rather than give it to them. And somebody comes up with a comparison. I says, my God, look at that. Now, this woman is no innocent. uh, Let's put it this way. She's not as innocent as the driven snow. She says whatever Biden tells her to say and doesn't say what he tells her to say. I mean, they have manipulated through this woman. Facebook, YouTube, these social platforms. And she's just appearing to be her happy little self. And she's always loved the phrase, we've been always very clear. Whenever they say, we've always been very clear, it's code for they haven't been very clear. So, This is a big free speech issue. And this was a Trump-appointed judge. The Trump-appointed judges, all the way up particularly to the Supreme Court, are driving the manipulators of information and people who want to ignore the Constitution, driving them crazy. And so they're attacking the Supreme Court, both individually and collectively. Bad, bad deal. So here is an interesting ruling that, from what I can tell, is going to have a huge outcome, possibly, on explicitly prohibiting the government from colluding with social media companies. They won't let us. They never said that, but we know that's what they meant by community standard, which they never defined. So, Whoever came up with this comparison, there you are. I don't know if she knows it's there, but that's what people see. And she invited it. She invited it by being a manipulator. And obviously, from her demeanor, having fun doing it without any guilt. It's amazing.
You know, the scapegoating the Supreme Court. And she's been right in on the lead of that. She's been right after it. The Democrats are in mass attack. Now, I assure you, if the Supreme Court was ruling in favor of the Democrats' ideology, it'd be completely different. But now that they're not, they're going, it's holding it up against the Constitution. Justices, the Democrats are attacking. And they got this delegitimization campaign cranked up, which includes everything from personal assaults against the integrity of the justices they don't like, all the way out to trying to support a bill introduced by, of course, Elizabeth Warren to expand the court to 13 seats. And you know what that would do. They'd attempt to dilute. And the more you get, the more confusion, the less you get done, less agreement. Take a look at the city of Gainesville seven-member commission. Horrible. Thanks, production, for putting that up there. Horrible. Was five. Better. The political divisions in the country are trying to be inserted into the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court is not endorsing are all these anti-government programs and poverty and this and social welfare and all this business that came out of the great society. That's not in the Constitution. That was, so to speak, stuck into the Constitution. Now they're engaged in the blame game. I think this is very odd, very dangerous I don't know where it's going to end. I hope I hope we can fend this off. I think this is one of the best legacies of Trump you can ever, ever think of. Him putting these Supreme Court justices on there who know how to read the Constitution. I mean, that is basically what you've got. Don't let them... Tell you it's anything else. And I have an article here somewhere. Let me see if I can get it out of my midnight all regard. Yeah. Here's a good example. A real good example. The black justice, the most recently added justice, Justice Jackson. Yesterday, in the Wall Street Journal, Ted Frank analyzed 
her irresponsible statements. Now, this comes out of the affirmative action ruling. And here are her responses to that. In a dissent statement from last week's ruling against racial preferences in college admissions, Justice Kenjati Brown Jackson, I think I got that right. I can never get those names right. When they refused to anglicize and invent some name because it sounds African. Uh, They lose me. I don't know how to say that name. Anyway, this Justice Jackson enumerated what she saw as benefits of diversity in education. And she said the following in her dissent. Diversity saves lives for high-risk black newborns having a black physician. Now, get this. I mean, mean, let me slow it down for you. For high-risk black newborns. You ready for this? Having a black physician more than doubles the likelihood that the baby will live. What? Huh? Now that's one thing. If some woman's saying this on the street corner, But this is a Supreme Court justice. I find this so odd. And Mr. Frank, in his rebuttal of her comment, says that just off the top of your head, you can realize that this claim is, as he says, wildly, wildly implausible. Huh? And then he says, imagine if 40% of black newborns died, which would mean thousands of dead infants every week. But even so, that would be a 60% survival rate. And as he points out, that is mathematically impossible to double. And he says the actual survival rate is over 99%. So he starts to look in how in the world Could a Supreme Court Justice Jackson make such a mistake?
a footnote that he finds cites a friend of the court brief. I take it this is a footnote in her dissent by the Association of American Medical Colleges, which makes the same claim in almost identical language. It in turn refers to a 2020 study whose lead author is Brad Greenwood, a professor at the George Mason University School of Business. But the study, when you look at it, makes no such claim. It examines mortality rates in Florida, newborns in Florida between 1992 and 2015, and it shows a 0.13% to 0.2% improvement in survival rates for black newborns with black pediatricians. Though no statistically significant improvement for black obstetricians. This is a flawed report. It uses linear regression appropriate for modeling continuous normally distributed variables like height or LSAT scores, but not for categorical low probability events like newborn death. I was talking to a friend who really understands statistics. And there's damn few people I think do. And the friend I conferred with, who has another friend who has a PhD in statistics, a female, says that practically no one understands statistics. Here is a classic example. So the irresponsibility of a Conjati Brown-Jackson dissenting against a sensible ruling without understanding what she was saying. Frank says the most highly specified model that he's found still shows an improvement in black newborn survival. And it also shows that black doctors with a statistically significant higher mortality rate for white newborns at a higher mortality rate overall, everything else being equal. It shows the opposite. Shows the opposite. So Mr. Frank says we have a Supreme Court justice parroting a mathematically absurd claim coming from an interested party's mischaracterization of a flawed study. Thank God, Mr. Frank, you wrote about this. Thank God you wrote about it. Come on. If you don't find this odd, I find, maybe it's not odd. Maybe it's just par for the course. Justice Kentaji 
Brown Jackson. Off the top of her head. Says the most implausible comments that are disproven by someone who can think and understand statistics in no time flat. I don't know. You know, after a while, you know, you just want to throw your hands up. You really do. I mean, Meanwhile, North Carolina State University, these stories kind of go together, has stopped its plan to use diversity statements when considering faculty promotions and tenure. In January, the Faculty Senate created a special select committee on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, of course, what that faculty senate found was a goal that was at odds with the Board of Governors' prohibition of using those words as criteria for job applicants. Hey, that's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. And it shows you very blatantly the liberal nature of college faculties. This was in the Washington Examiner. We have gone out on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board the language of an administrator at Florida imposing diversity, equity, and inclusion on her department. I'll let you make your own mind up about it. Meanwhile, I guess I'll conclude with this. This is from Jason Riley. You know what, how much what I think of Jason Riley and Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell wrote a memoir, a Personal Odyssey, and uh, that. He's a black economist. He explained one of the byproducts of racial preferences in academia. And he says one of the ironies that he experienced in his own career was that he received more automatic respect when he first began teaching in 1962 as an inexperienced young man with no PhD and few publications then later on in the 70s, after accumulating a more substantial record, and he said what happened in the, in the, in the, in the between was affirmative action hiring of minority faculty. Thomas Sowell, a black man, is against 
affirmative action hiring minority faculty. Who wouldn't be? If you had merit on your own, why would you? Why wouldn't you? You don't need any. You just want to be able to use your mind. This Supreme Court has ruled that the use of race in college admissions is wrong primarily because it violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. That's the, that's the crux of the matter. All these things are odd as can be, aren't they? From the blooming onion. Oh, boy. Well, thanks for tuning in on Bloomin' Onion Odds and Ends Friday. Have a great weekend. Lord Howe Command Center out.